From Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, to the Thessalonians church that is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to all of you. We always thank God for all of you when we mention you constantly in our prayers. That is because we remember your work that comes from faith, your effort that comes from love, and your perseverance that comes from hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Brothers and sisters, you are loved by God, and we know that he has chosen you. We know this because our good news didn't come to you just in speech, but also with power and the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know as well as we do what kind of people we were when we were with you, which was for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord when you accepted the message that came from the Holy Spirit with joy in spite of great suffering. As a result, you became an example to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The message about the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place. The news about your faithfulness to God has spread so that we don't even need to mention it. People tell us about what sort of welcome we had from you and how you turned to God from idols. As a result, you are serving the living and true God, and you are waiting for his son from heaven. His son is Jesus, who is the one he raised from the dead, and who is the one who will rescue us from the coming wrath. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and it's a joy to be with you all in person and virtually. A shout out to all of those of you who are um, watching this after the fact because you've been in the streets. Um, and just a heads up to those of you who are here in person, we actually do aim to end early today so that those of us who wanna be in the streets today will get that opportunity. But I, I have a confession to make. I'm having a real Jonah moment. And when I say that, I don't mean like a Jonah Overton moment. I mean like, like a scriptural Jonah moment. I did not want to preach the sermon that I'm going to preach. I did not. I did it. I've been resisting it all week. I actually hopped on a boat to Tarsus on Wednesday and told the band, we're, ditch it. we're not going to use the text that's in Will Gaffney's womanist lectionary. It's too challenging. That's what she does, right? She, she challenges us to look at difficult texts and to engage with uh, systems of oppression in the world. And, and the text for this week was Revelation. And who doesn't want to preach on Revelation? <laughs> Revelation's great. Uh, but Revelation is really complicated. And I think that anytime I preach about Revelation, it, it, it forces me to confront imperial nationalist Christianity um, but also some of the messaging about the Middle East um, that has come from, uh, from rapture theology. And my heart is so, so tender right now. Um, it's been a hard couple of weeks in general, but also like I, I was like, I cannot, I cannot preach about the genocide in Gaza. I can't. And so I was like, great, we're gonna go to the standard, regular, boring people um, uh, text for the week. We, 
we have, there is a, a lectionary, a common lectionary that's not this radical womanist lectionary. I was like, let's do that. So I got this text um, about reputation from, uh, from 1 Thessalonians. It's a letter where this church is receiving this letter basically saying like, hey, we hold you in prayer. And you know what? Word of who you are and the way that you live out the gospel, that you are a people of peace, that you are a people of faithfulness, it has spread. You are known. You are known. And, and so I was like, great, we can really meditate on, on reputation and how we ought to be known in the world. I think whenever I think about reputation, I, I, two, two scriptures come to mind. One is where Jesus said, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, by the way that you love each other. And at a different point, he said, woe to you when I'll speak well of you. Right? So we've got, okay, well, we should, we should be a people known for the way we treat one another. But also, we should know that, you know, when, when everyone is speaking well of us, that actually, that's a big red flag. And so who ought to speak well of us? And in this sermon that I was planning on preaching all week, I'll spoil it for you. The answer has to do with power and empire, right? So who speaks well of you? Is it the marginalized or the powerful? Is it the oppressed or the oppressor speaking well of you? Is it the colonized or the colonizer? And now I'm back. (laughs) Now I'm back to Gaza. There's a song that always comes to my mind when I hear that text from, from Jesus, this is, how, this is how everyone will know you are my disciples when you love each other. Does anyone know that song, they will know we are Christians by our love? That song has always been really haunting to me. I mean, part of it is this sort of ethereal melody in minor key. But the words of the second verse are, we will work with each other. We will work side by side. We will work with each other. We will work side by side and we'll guard each one's dignity and save each one's pride. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And this song always felt like a kind of of bitter parody to me. Because as many of us know in this space, Christians are not actually known the world over for our love. Christianity has been so co-opted by empire and power that we are not known for our love. We are known for imperialism. Those of us who have experienced hate at the hands of Christian communities of origin know that love is so often a, a falsehood, a cover for something else. We ought to be known for our love, but not just self-congratulating, oh, we're so loving, but known by the oppressed, known by the marginalized, known by those colonized for our love, for our justice, for our resistance. I didn't want to preach about this today because it's so raw, but I returned to that text in Revelation 6. It says, when the lamb opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls. 
of those who had been slaughtered. And they cried out with a great voice, Dread God, holy and true, how long will it be? How long will it be before you judge and avenge our blood? And even this is in such a human framework of vengeance and violence. The whole of Revelation casts a very different picture, one of reconciliation and peace, but where all have have power, all have equity, all have a right to the land. But there are those being slaughtered right now and throughout history. The history of empire is a history of slaughter and genocide. The story of Revelation is a story of grief and rage and resistance. The people who told it and wrote it were Christians being persecuted by the state at the time. That 666 we all know from horror movies, that's in Revelation, but it's actually a reference to Emperor Nero. Everything was kind of in code because they were an oppressed people. But the call of Revelation is toward justice and resistance. It's for justice for the marginalized, those who have been crushed by empire, resistance to that empire. But ultimately, the vision of Revelation is not war or bloodshed. The vision of Revelation is the tree of life. At the end of Revelation, we have a reclamation of the Garden of Eden. In the beginning... There was this beautiful garden, all things held in common, the land, the people, the animals. Everything was in an ecosystem of love and provision. At the end of the scriptures in Revelation, we have a garden as well and a tree, the tree of life. And the tree of life that provides for all. But that vision of the garden and the tree of life stands in sharp contrast to the violence that Christians have interpreted into the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation has become this secret guidebook, this code, this uh, kind of reference text for the left-behind mythology. Rapture theology, which isn't really scriptural, draws on those images to divide, to say that some are worthy of salvation, but most are not. And those who are not are, are worth violence and bloodshed to be forgotten, abandoned, and that that is just what people have coming to them. But the good ones, the good ones get salvation. This is the heart of rapture theology. But part of rapture theology and dispensationalism relies on a particular part of the world, the Middle East, Jerusalem. And it is Christians who have created a Zionist theology for Christians to say that our God, our Jesus, won't come back until there is a state that holds power in the Middle East in a way that benefits Christians. There is a genocide happening right now in that place and time. And our government is directing, funding, and justifying it as it has done over and over throughout its history. The Palestinian people 
indigenous to that land have been forced by a collusion of many empires into, I don't know, let's call them reservations, ghettos. Some people call Gaza an open air prison. After a violent, brutal, unimaginable recent prison revolt in which many innocent people were murdered and terrorized, these empires, the Israeli government, the USA, and the UK, have got justification now to commit genocide. Now, part of the difficulty of this conversation, and I'll admit part of my own reservations preaching on this, is the public discourse around anti-Zionism as anti-Semitism. Is anti-Zionism anti-Semitic? Is it anti-Jewish to oppose the violence in Palestine right now? For that, I have to look to my Jewish kin and neighbors. There is a community in Chicago, Sedek Chicago Synagogue, Sedek is a Hebrew word, it means justice. And Sedek Chicago Synagogue sounds a lot like us, you guys. <laughs> they are a community, a plant, began a couple years before us in 2015. And when you go to their values page, when they talk about who they are, they talk about a Judaism beyond borders. They say, in our activism, we advocate for a world beyond borders and reject the view that any one people, ethnic group, or nation is entitled to any part of our world more than any other. They talk about a Judaism of solidarity, of nonviolence. We are inspired, they say, by prophetic Judaism, our tradition's sacred imperative to take a stand against corrupt use of power. We also understand that the Jewish historical legacy as a persecuted people bequeaths to us a responsibility to reject the ways of oppression and stand with the most vulnerable members of our society. In our educational programs, celebrations, and liturgy, we emphasize the Torah's repeated teachings to stand with the oppressed and call out the oppressor. They talk about a Judaism of spiritual freedom, of equity, and a Judaism beyond Zionism, they say, while we appreciate the important role of the land of Israel in Jewish tradition, liturgy, and identity, we do not celebrate the fusing of Judaism with political nationalism. We are anti-Zionist. This is an anti-Zionist synagogue in Chicago, openly acknowledging that the creation of an ethnic Jewish nation state in historic Palestine resulted in an injustice against the Palestinian people, an injustice that continues to this day. Now, some of you may be wondering what exactly Zionism is. Zionism is the belief that there ought to be an ethno-religious state, a national state for the Jewish people on the land that is currently in the midst of all of this conflict. And it's something backed by big colonial governments like the U.S. and the U.K. There are a lot of black activists, especially um, 
prominent leadership in the Black Lives Matter movement that are very vocally in support of Palestine, that recognize what's happening there as colonization. And, and so a lot of the local activists I've been seeing on TikTok and Instagram lately in support of Palestine are, are black folks. And there was, <laughs> there was a black activist on TikTok this week that said like, listen, I, I just wanna like, you think that the USA and the UK, and he interspersed pictures of the history of, of slavery in both of those countries. You think that the US and the UK are participating in a land back program? You think that the USA illustrations of the genocide of the indigenous population of the United States and the UK illustrations of the colonization of India are participating in a land back program. And that was it, that was the end of the TikTok. <laughs> we ought to be, back to reputation here for a second, extremely suspicious when colonial governments are defending someone's right to land. And in fact, there is a whole history here where after committing absolute unimaginable atrocities against the Jewish people for generations culminating in the Holocaust in Europe, the US government and governments in Europe got together and said, what if they left? What if we sent this population that we've been oppressing to another place that we've actually been trying to colonize for a while and put them in charge of it. We have a horrific history here. And one of the histories that we cannot ever neglect is the very real anti-Semitism, anti-Jewishness, violence against the Jewish people woven throughout, even including the creation of the state of Israel. And Sedek Chicago, says, hey, our history actually should inform us to do better. We can do something different because Zionism, that idea, fuses Jewish identity and a national identity with the Israeli state. Zionism moves the identity from religious and cultural to nationalistic. And this religious ethnostate is currently an apartheid. Looking again to more Jewish leadership, Jewish voices, I was drawn to Sim Kern. They are a Jewish anti-Zionist author and journalist. They are on TikTok. Spent a lot of time on TikTok this week, if you can't tell. Under Sim Book Talks Badly. And they have quite a following, but they mostly talk about their books, right? They had a really powerful message this week that I'd like to share a piece of with you. They were responding to a trend on BookTok where influencers were recommending in the midst of this crisis that people read both Palestinian and Jewish books right now. Sim said this, I'm sure this is coming from a good place. But in doing so, you are actually doing something anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, and harmful. Let me explain why. 
The genocide in Gaza is not about Islam versus Judaism. It is a, about a powerful apartheid state, Israel, targeting for genocide the captive population of indigenous people to that land, which it has been oppressing for 75 years. It is about Israel targeting for elimination Palestine. Conflating Israel with Judaism is anti-Semitic. Yesterday, this would have been October 19th, 500 Jews were arrested in the United States Capitol for standing for a free Palestine and demanding an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Jews as a whole are not represented by the Israeli government. The Israeli government wants you to think that because it gives them some moral legitimacy. But that is Israeli propaganda, and it is not truth. 10,000 Jews were marching outside the capital to show their numbers, to show their solidarity with the people of Palestine. This was organized by Jewish Voices for Peace. So be careful when you are talking about what is happening, not to conflate Israel with Jews or Judaism. As radical followers of Jesus, would you like to be conflated, to be associated with the decisions and violence of your presumably Christian state apparatus? I know. I know that there are many Jewish folks fighting for a free Palestine here and around the world. And I know that there are many in Israel. And the other night I was contemplating what it meant, what it would mean to an anti-apartheid uh, Israeli Jew, to a, a, an Israeli Jewish person fighting for freedom in Palestine to know that their government right now was committing a genocide supposedly on their behalf and how much of a betrayal that would be. And then I realized I am a Christian living under a government that is purporting for me and subtext for Christians to commit genocide. My government is doing that. And whether they will say it explicitly or not, again, be very curious when colonizers want to protect someone's right to land. It is part about imperialism and our just history and identify, uh, identification as colonizers here in this country. And it is partly about Christian nationalism and Christian Zionism, whether it is named or not. There are many, many Christians who believe that Jesus will not come back until the state of Israel reaches some conclusion, there's, there's all kinds of religious ideology pulled from the book of Revelation about the temple. This is a mythology that is explicitly Christian that says we Christians, for the sake of Jesus, need Israel to dominate this space. All of this is bound up in Christian nationalism. So what's going on there? For those of you who don't know the actual situation on the ground, Palestinians in Gaza have been under occupation for a long time. And they've been controlled in a certain confined space. The nation of Israel, the state, uh, 
operates all import-export, including medicine, food, and water, electricity. And so during this siege on Gaza, during all of this violence, Gaza has had their water cut off, their food cut off, their, their electricity cut off, and no access to medicine. They've been told to evacuate. The state of Israel has said, evacuate. How? Where? The borders are closed. Israel has closed all of their own borders, so Gazans can't leave. And there is one additional border, a small border, Rafah, with Egypt. But is Egypt, a 90% Muslim country, opening their doors? No. And that's because this is not about Judaism versus Islam. This is about a nation state against an indigenous people justifying genocide. Now, we need to hold a lot of tension here because while that is happening there, here in the States and around the world, Jewish people are under very real and immediate threat. Schools are closing, synagogues are closing. Actual anti-Jewish hate is very alive and vibrant in our country. And we have an extreme moral obligation to protect and defend our vulnerable Jewish kin here and abroad. And we have to do that while we condemn the actions of our government and the government of Israel as they carry out genocide against the Palestinian people. Palestinians historically were farmers. And you may have noticed in the scriptures that olive trees are a pretty important part of the landscape. Olive trees can grow and flourish for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so many Palestinian families had been stewarding these olive groves for generations and generations. It's the majority, it was like 15% of the income into the state of Palestine was about um, olive-related exports. And that's even under occupation. When I imagine the tree of life, I can't imagine it as an olive grove. When I imagine Jesus praying, kneeling, weeping over Jerusalem, praying in Gethsemane, he is surrounded by these olive trees. But what has the state done? Not only displaced Palestinian farmers from their olive trees, their source of, of income and life, but also culture and history and land, they've also intentionally bulldozed those ancient olive groves. The Yale Review of International Studies says, since 1967, more than 800,000 Palestinian olive trees have been uprooted by the Israeli authority. In August 2021 alone, more than 9,000 have been removed. And on February 9th, 2020, 50 olive trees were forcibly uprooted and destroyed in the occupied West Bank region of Salfit. These unprecedented attacks are mainly due to the ongoing expansion of settlements in the West Bank, which are encroaching on the livelihood of Palestinian families. Oftentimes, these trees are burned in front of the families, violently ending their livelihood. Now, one of the reasons that I've been so radicalized about the occupation of Palestine is because the first way I learned about it actually was Christian Zionism and the absolutely twisted um, rapture interpretations of Revelation. There is a book called The Rapture Exposed 
by Barbara Rossing. This is a really important book to me. I've preached on it before, and I just want to share with you two quotes. She says, the dispensationalist, that is rapture, left behind energy kind of thing, version of the biblical storyline requires tribulation and war in the Middle East, not peace plans. The theology that is held by many conservative Christians requires violence, suffering, and war in the Middle East, not peace. She goes on in the next section to say, the single place where change is most urgently needed in the way Christians understand Revelation's message is in regard to the land of Israel and Palestine. Real people in the Middle East currently stand to lose if American Christians following the dispensationalist script succeed in shaping foreign policy according to their view of the Bible. With their warlike end time script, dispensationalists have supported an all or nothing mentality of conquest for Israel. And they look forward to more violence in Israel as the so-called prophetic countdown to the end approaches. Their militant, triumphalistic vision for the future of Jerusalem stands in sharp contrast to Revelation's vision for Jerusalem as a holy city for all peoples with open gates and a wondrous tree of life, a place of welcome and healing. This book was written in 2004. And over the past 20 years, that violent theology has absolutely and increasingly shaped U.S. foreign policy and the war that we are funding and fueling right now. We are called to be known as a people of peace. We are called to be known as a people of justice. But when it is our violent, imperialist, nationalist government talking about peace, we ought to be very skeptical. And when we are called to live into the theology of the gospel and the call to follow Jesus, we want to be known as a people of peace by the folks at the margins. And so I want you to hear this first text one more time. And I want you to imagine that it might be written to you from marginalized, colonized people all over the world, including the people, many, if not most of them, children in Gaza right now. Grace and peace to you all. We always thank God for you when we mention you constantly in our prayers. This is because we remember your work that comes from faith, your effort that comes from love, and your perseverance that comes from hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They wouldn't share that experience in the presence of God and Father. Brothers, sisters, siblings, you are loved by God, and we know that God has chosen you. We know this because our good news didn't come to you just in speech, but also with power and the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. We know as well, you know as well as we do, what kind of people we were when we were with you, which was for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord when you accepted the message that came from the Holy Spirit 
with joy in spite of great suffering. As a result, you became an example to all the believers. There are many Christian Palestinians, by the way. You became an example to all the believers in Palestine, in U.S. indigenous lands, in occupied territories all over the world. The message about the good news rang out from you, not only there, but in every place. The news about your faithfulness to God, to justice, to liberation has spread so that we don't even need to mention it. People tell us about what sort of welcome we had from you and how you turned from God's, from, to God from idols and empire. As a result, you are serving the living and true God and you are waiting for his son from heaven. His son is Jesus, the one who he raised from the dead and who will come to rescue us from wrath. If you would like to join us in the streets, we will be, um, folks are leaving, gathering right now in Red Arrow Park. The event starts at 11, it's 11.06, but you know, any event led by leftist queers and BIPOC folks has a little leeway on time. <laughs> so in lieu of our common ritual of communion, we'll go straight to, um, We'll sing a few more songs and then we will end service early so that our ritual of connection can include solidarity with Palestine. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, you claim each and all of us as your children. Please protect the vulnerable. Protect Jews here and everywhere as they are and have been under attack. Protect Palestinians in Gaza and everywhere as they are currently under attack. God, your will is never genocide. And those who would find it and justify it with your scriptures and your texts have missed the message of your liberating love. God, may we stand in solidarity with those who seek liberation for all people. May we be in solidarity with Jews around the world who are anti-Zionist. God, may we be in solidarity with the children of Gaza laying under hospital rubble. May we be with you and your people in all times and places. May you be with us in the streets. May we chant the truth of your coming kingdom, a liberation for all people of all faiths in all places and times. And may we gather again someday at the tree of life and say, peace, peace, peace. Amen. <laughs>